Lord. Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture. We're going to look at Mark chapter 11 and Romans chapter 10. We, uh, we started a couple of weeks ago. We really didn't have a plan to, to, um, to begin a series or, or anything like that. But we began talking about some things relative to the subject of faith. And it just seemed good to me and the Holy Ghost to, to keep going in that direction. I guess if we were going to have to title anything uh, regarding these last uh, uh, three or four weeks, however long we've been uh, teaching along this line, I guess we'd have to call it the key elements of faith. Now, the reason that we're teaching on faith in healing school, some people come, and especially if it's their first time, then they're, they're kind of surprised at, uh, at the way that uh, the healing school services go sometimes. At least we've got this comment on occasion. You know, well, Pastor Mike, I, I really was surprised. I thought you'd be talking about healing. I thought you'd be laying hands on the sick. I thought it would be going certain ways, you know. And, and the only thing you ever know is what you've been accustomed to and what you've heard or witnessed before. But the reason, one of the primary reasons at least, that we teach on the subject of faith and spend so much time teaching on faith in healing school is that if you look at the four Gospels, there are 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. Now, it seems like there's more than that because many of the Gospel writers give us uh, their point of view or their account of the same ex experience. And it doesn't uh, take into account the times where the multitudes were healed in, in larger groups and things like that. But if you take out the, um, uh, the individual healing events in Jesus' ministry, there were 19 cases of individuals who were healed, and sometimes that was uh, uh, two men together or, or something like that. But 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. Of those 19 individual cases, 13 specifically identified the faith of the individual as being in play. Jesus credits the faith of the individual as having activated the healing power of God. An example of that is in Mark chapter 5, where the woman with issue of blood comes to Jesus. She hears of Jesus. She comes in the press behind because she says, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She reaches out and touches Jesus, the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus feels power going out of him. She feels power going into her. He stops and turns and looks and says, somebody touch me. Well, nobody can tell who it is. The disciples, at least, can't answer Jesus' question about who did it. Because everybody is reaching in to push on Jesus and the, the whole you know, crowd is, uh, is pressing on him to, to touch him. Apparently other people have heard about his healing power too. But they're reaching out in a different way. Finally, Jesus looks around to see her that had done it. He's not moving. He just stops. And he's not moving until he figures out who got what. So the woman who was healed of this issue of blood, this uh, incurable condition she had had for 12 years, she comes to Jesus and tells him everything that happened. Now you know how women are telling stories. She told him every detail. She told him every, every little thing that could possibly happen. And Jesus answers her in Mark chapter 5 and verse 34. And he said, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Now some people look at that as a contradiction because we know that she felt the healing power of God go into her. We know Jesus felt the healing power of God go out of him, which means it was present on him for somebody to take advantage of or take possession of at their will. Boy, you stop and preach there for a while. She reached out and took hold of it, yet Jesus doesn't credit the healing power of God as doing the work. He credits her faith as being the active agent that triggered the power of God for her. In other words, it was her faith in action that caused that healing power that was available for anybody and everybody to be hers. So 13 of the 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry say something to the effect of the person's faith in operation. Now, of the remaining, what is that, six, two more imply, although it doesn't speak specifically and call the faith by name, you can see faith in action by what the people said or did. 
So that's 15 out of 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. Somebody want to do the math on that, you'll find out it's something around 75%. 15 out of the 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry according to the record that the Holy Ghost gives us. Now, I know that there were more people that were healed in Jesus' ministry than that. John said if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, that tells me that there were a lot more individual cases of healing, but the Holy Ghost saw fit to give us record of these 19. That tells me if God is a just and a fair God, which He has to be in order for the Bible to be true, that tells me it gives us these 19 individual cases of healing give us a complete picture of the healing ministry of Jesus. There could have been duplicate situations. There could have been other things and other people that, that, uh, that were similar in circumstances or whatever the case might be. But this has to be a complete picture of healing in Jesus' ministry or else Jesus didn't complete the job that He came to do, which was to reveal the Father to us. So 15 out of the 19 cases of healing in Jesus' ministry, Jesus being the Son of God who had the Spirit of God without measure, 15 out of 19, the faith of the individual was a key element for that healing to be realized. Well, if, that, if Jesus expected faith on the part of the individual for people to receive in His day, who thinks they're going to get better results than Him? If faith was necessary on the part of the individual for 15 out of 19 cases that we have record of, Shouldn't we expect faith to be a necessary ingredient to receive healing today? Absolutely. And that's where a lot of people miss it. Because a lot of people just think, well, this is just all up to the will of God, whatever the will of God was. Well, folks, it's God's will for everybody to be healed. The Bible says that Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of all of mankind. But not all of mankind is going to receive that salvation, are they? See, some people will say, well, if healing's for everybody, why don't you just get everybody healed? For the same reason you don't get everybody saved. Because it's still up to the individual. The individual has to, by faith, reach out and take hold of what Jesus has already done. The same scripture that says Jesus died for the sins of the world says that he took the infirmities, our infirmities, and bare our sicknesses, and with his stripes were healed. Same scripture. Same exact scripture, same exact work on the cross. Same exact blood that was shed for both, in, both uh, purposes. Yet it takes faith on the part of the individual. So that's why we're teaching on the subject of faith. Well, have you found Mark chapter 11 yet? I hope so. Mark chapter 11 tells us the story of Jesus operating his faith and the results that it produced and what the disciples saw as a result of that. He curses the fig tree. He expects to see fruit on it. I've explained this before, but in case you weren't with us, don't know how fig trees are in, in Israel. Same thing still true today. It was true in his day. Figs and, and leaves grow at the same time. So if a fig tree has leaves, you would expect it to have figs. The figs drop at the same time that the, that the leaves drop. So Jesus has every reason, because it's a green leaf tree, He has every reason to expect there to be figs on it. Now, King James is a little blind because it says the time of figs was not yet, but that's, that's an inaccurate translation of the original language. You go back and look at the original language and it doesn't say that at all. It literally says, for the times of fig, for the time was, the time of figs had come or something to that effect. So Jesus goes and He expects to see figs on the tree. And when there's not any fruit on it, just leaves, that's like a lot of situations in your life. They look like they should be fruitful, but nothing's being produced. Jesus curses the fig tree. He does not pray. He does not ask God to do something about this tree or complain, God, why did you let this happen to me? Didn't you know I was hungry? He curses the fig tree and says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. In other words, Jesus spoke to the problem. 
If you'd start speaking to your problems instead of speaking to God about your problems, you get a lot better results. Jesus spoke to the problem. He didn't involve God because he recognized that he was the one that has authority, just like you. Some things that aren't worth talking to God about because you're the one that has authority. And if you do talk to God, you're going to be in the same situation as Moses when they were facing the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army bearing down on them. He turns and he says, okay, to the people, he says, okay, stand still and see the salvation of God. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Don't worry, folks. Then he turns around to God and says, what are we going to do? And God rebukes him. God said, what are you crying out to me for? Now, folks, i got to tell you, just me, just me, natural me, seeing things the way I see things. That would seem to me like a good time to cry out to God. You're facing death one way or the other. Yet the Lord said, why criest thou unto me? You stretch forth your hand and divide the water. In other words, when you get in a situation where you have authority and you cry out to God about, oh, how is this terrible thing going to be solved? God's going to turn it back around to you and say, use the authority you have. That's exactly what Moses did. He stretched out his hand. Power of God was realized. The sea parted. Israel went over on dry ground. By the way, God was on there. He helped them out a little bit by putting the pillar of fire between them and Pharaoh's armies. The Bible says God's got your back. That's what it means where it says he is your rearward. It means he's got your back. You know the only time God doesn't have your back? When you're not moving forward. Moving forward is a type of using your authority. You want God to have your back, you use your authority. So many times people are waiting for God to show up with that pillar of fire. Okay, Lord, you show me the fire and I'll move. That's not the way it works. You move and God has your back. So Israel goes over on dry ground. Pharaoh's army is chasing after them. The sea comes back together again and defeats the army. They never have to fire a shot. Israel never has to lift a finger. The greatest army on the face of the earth is wiped out like that. That's how God works, folks. So Jesus does not pray about his problem. He speaks to the problem. He says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard him say it. Next morning, they come walking by on that same road, same tree, same location, same place. And the fig tree is dried up from the roots. Now, folks, I, I, I hate to be repetitive, but I really feel like I need to keep saying some things so that people think. I know that's a new experience for a lot of Christians. But we need to think things through. If you had taken a chainsaw to it the day before, it'd be still laying on the ground with green leaves. It would take a while. It would take a period of time for that, the life in that tree to drain out, right? Jesus speaks to it, and the words that he speaks to it goes not to the outside where the leaves are. It goes to the root of the problem. And it dries up from the roots. Your words, when you exercise your authority, dry things up from the roots. You speak words of healing. In the name of Jesus, it'll dry up sickness from the roots. Now, not always do you see the green leaves disappear overnight. Keep that in mind. We'll talk about that a little bit as we go. Peter sees this and calls it to Jesus' attention. He said, Master, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. King James says, Have faith in God. Other translations say, Have the faith of God. 
One translation I really like says, reckon on God's faithfulness. In other words, he's saying, here's how it works. Here's how faith works. He does not say, yeah, Peter, this worked because I'm the son of God. See, so many times people want to put everything off on Jesus did miracles because he was the son of God. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. You can find it in a lot of religious doctrine, but you can't find it in Scripture. Jesus said, have faith in God. Now, the understood subject is you. In other words, he's not saying, don't try this at home. He's saying, here's how it works for everybody. You have faith in God. He's saying, Peter, you can do the same thing that I'm doing. How do we know? Verse 23. For whosoever. Now, doesn't whosoever mean anybody? Isn't whosoever determined by what you choose, not who God chooses? If it was determined by the ones that God chooses, the ones that have the special faith, like so many Christians seem to think it works, then wouldn't it say, for whomever God chooses when they speak to the mountain? But that's not what he said. He said, whosoever. It means it's your choice. You're in the same position as Moses facing the Red Sea. What are you going to do about your situation? For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now Jesus has not spoken to a mountain. He spoke to a fig tree. Why is he saying, now instead of the fig tree that's dried up from the roots, why is he turn and say, whoever speaks into this mountain? If you go to where, the place where it happened, and you can get pretty close, you know, maybe not exactly, but you can get pretty close, there's a mountain there. So when Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, he's saying it won't just work for fig tree-sized problems, it works on mountain-sized problems. Same thing I did to the fig tree, I could have done to the mountain, and you can too. Now, I don't think Jesus is speaking in a literal sense. You can rearrange the geography or the topography of the earth. Who cares about that? Some people say, you mean I could really move a mountain? Well, stop, start with moving your bills. Start with moving the headache, and then maybe you can grow to mountain faith. But I don't think Jesus is really talking about the, the, the topography of the land. I think he's trying to use that as an illustration for problems, unfruitful circumstances in your life. He said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Notice he is not talking about speaking to God. He's talking about you speaking to your problems. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And, here's the qualifier, And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. Folks, I want you to understand that's the only thing that he mentions as the killer. The thing that stops faith from working and shall not doubt in his heart. That's it. That's the only condition that he says will keep the mountain from moving. Whatever mountain you're talking about. Whatever mountain is your problem. Whatever is the mountain you're facing. And shall not doubt in his heart. But, here's the reverse, here's the contrast. But shall believe. Well, now, folks, if he's talking about not doubting in your heart, don't you suppose he's talking about believing in your heart? It'd have to be. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart, that what thing soever he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So he says the qualifier, the one thing to guard against is don't doubt in your heart, and instead, believe that what you say will happen. That's it. Believe what you say will happen. He, the whosoever that does this, he shall have. 
whatsoever he saith. He says, your words will create realities. Your words will create realities. Now, uh, uh, turn with me over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're talking about key elements of faith. Romans chapter 10. Let's start reading um, in verse 8. Paul says, uh, I better back up to verse 6 to get the context. Paul said, but the righteousness which is of faith. And what is righteousness which is of faith? That's salvation, isn't it? Don't we by faith receive righteousness when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives? That's what the Bible says. I know that's contrary to some people's thoughts, some religious thought, but that's what the Bible says. So he says, the righteousness which is of faith. In other words, the kind of faith that gets you saved speaketh on this wise. In other words, here's how faith talks. Jesus was just telling us that faith speaks in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Now, Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost, here's how faith speaks. The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in your heart. First thing he's going to do is he's going to say, here's what faith doesn't say. Faith doesn't say, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. In other words, he's saying the righteousness which is of faith, the kind of faith that brings results from God, doesn't say if only Jesus was here. If only you could come down from heaven and help me. Or if only you could be raised again from the dead to help me. It counts the work of Jesus as done and sufficient. The kind of faith that gets results. I remember what Jesus said. He said the qualifier for the faith that gets results is not doubting in your heart, but believing in your heart that what you say will come to pass. Then, he said, under those conditions, you'll have whatever you say. Now Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost, the righteousness which is of faith. In other words, the kind of faith that brings results, supernatural results, does not say if only Jesus was here. The righteousness which is of faith, the kind of faith that gets supernatural results from God, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, whether it's salvation, forgiveness of sins, no matter what it is, is not looking for Jesus to be here, but instead accepts the work of Jesus to be sufficient. Verse 8. Well, then what does it say? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, folks, the word of faith people, the word of faith which I proudly claim to be part of, that segment of the church world has gotten a terrible, terrible time from people that don't believe. I mean, they'll call us everything except saved. But I want you to notice something. Paul says that the kind of faith that gets results says this. He says, the word of faith is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. He says there's two places, two necessary places for faith to work, in your heart and in your mouth. Now, isn't that exactly what Jesus said in Mark 11:23? 23? He said, you've got to believe in your heart and say to the mountain. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Any discrepancy, any difference, I mean, there's different words, different, different ways that it's presented, but is there any difference in the essence of what's being talked about here? I mean, the Holy Ghost is agreeing with Jesus, isn't he? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, he said, that's what is called 
the word of faith, and Paul said, I preach that. So I get quite amused at the part of the church that just rails on us word of faith people because they never put Paul in that category. They never say, oh, those followers of Paul. You know, those word of faith people. Well, isn't Paul claiming to be a faith preacher right here? Folks, please keep this in mind. Underline this in your Bible. Highlight it. Do something so you can find it when you're... uh, Christian friends. (laughs) Almost messed up. Almost really, really messed up there. When your Christian friends start saying something about, oh, we've got to be, watch out about those word of faith people. We've had people see us on TV, come to church, oh, get so blessed. Oh, Pastor Mike, I just love this. Come back the next week and say, people told me to watch out for you. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, it's that word of faith stuff. They told me I have to be careful about that word of faith stuff. Yeah, Paul ran into that too. Paul said that's what he preaches. I'm proud to be numbered with Paul's company. So what does it say? What does the faith that gets results from God say? It's nigh thee, it's near to you, it's in your heart and it's in your mouth. That's called the word of faith. And Paul said, that's what I preach. So now he's going to tell us how it speaks. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Same two elements. Faith in your heart. Faith-filled words coming out of your mouth. Faith in your heart that Jesus was uh, crucified and raised from the dead. And faith-filled words to confess that He's your Lord and Savior. That's what brings you into the family of God. And that's the only way you can get in. I'm suspect about all these people saying, well, that that faith stuff, that's not the way I got saved. Well, are you sure you're saved then? Paul said this is how it works. Seriously? I think what happens is most people do this, but they do it unconsciously, and it's been so long ago that they did it, they don't even realize that they did something. If they'd stop and analyze, wait a minute, what did we do? Well, I heard somebody preaching that Jesus died for my sins, and they said if I just asked Him in my heart, then I'd be saved. So what did they do? They believed, and they spoke. And they got saved. And folks, that's the same principle of faith that causes you to receive everything from God. Let me turn it around and say it in a different way. Without that same principle of faith, you can't get anything from God, salvation included. Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I want you to notice that phrase, with the heart man believes. Folks, one of the key elements of faith, one of the most important things you'll ever need to know about faith is that faith is of the heart. Now, the word heart here means spirit. It means the inward man. Faith is of the inner man, not the outer man. Faith is from the inside, not the outside. Faith comes from the inside where man is born again. The spirit man that's eternal, not from your body and not from your mind. Faith is not of the head. Faith is of the heart. It's of the spirit. We know that the heart is the spirit because Peter talked about in giving instructions to the wives how that they need to submit themselves to their husbands and and just don't work on the outward person, the adorning of the the hair and the, the plaiting of gold and wearing of apparel and stuff like this. Some people say, yeah, see, women shouldn't wear makeup. 
Well, if you're going to use that scripture to preach that, you're going to have to say that women shouldn't wear clothes either. Because they're both part of the same scripture. Man, that'd change our church services, wouldn't it? Might increase attendance. Well, what is he saying? He's saying, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. In other words, he's saying, work on the inner man. Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is a quiet, a meek and quiet spirit before the Lord. So what's he saying? He's saying the heart's the spirit. The heart is the spirit. So with the heart or the spirit, man believes. Now the Bible tells us that man is three parts. First, first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 says, Paul said by the Holy Ghost, he said, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he telling us? He's telling us how man is made. He is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. A lot of times people think the spirit and the soul are the same thing, but they're not. Now, you can use the terms interchangeably, if, you know, and, and some people do. For example, some people say, well, yeah, we had three souls come to the altar and be saved. Well, what do they mean by that? They mean three people came to the altar and gave their hearts to Jesus. And, and religion has, uh, the church, by and large, has got its own language and its own lingo, lingo that a lot of people don't understand what's being talked about. And the problem with that is, much of the church speak is different from the way the Bible says it. One of the things that I loved about Brother Hagin is that he only said things the way the Bible says them. And it made it so clear. It made it so easy to understand. But you get people in the body of Christ, they want to say all kinds of things. You ask ten people, and ten Christians, ten different Christians, what does faith mean? You'll get ten different answers. But if we stick to what the Bible says it is, if we stick to the Bible definitions and the way the Bible says things, we'd, be, we'd all have clear understanding. Some people, for example, at funerals, they'll say, well, the Lord took them. Well, folks, there's only two places you can find where the Lord took somebody. One was Enoch. He walked with God and was not, for God took him. Now, if that's the way somebody died, I'm okay with saying God took him. Brother Hagin used to explain it. Enoch walked so close with God, God said, you know, it's closer to my house than it is yours. Just come go with me. <laughs> the only other example we have of God taking anybody is when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, with the chariot, riding in the chariot of fire. Okay, if that's the way somebody goes to heaven, I'm okay with saying God took them. But why do we say when somebody dies that God took them if they didn't go in one of the two Bible examples of the way God took people? That's the only time you can find where the Bible ever says anything about God taking some people. Now, God always accepts people when they come. But God doesn't take people through sickness. You can't find one person that the Bible says they died sick because God took them. You can't find one. Well, why does the church say that then? It just confuses people. It confuses people. So spirit and soul can't be the same thing in a technical sense. So with the heart, the spirit, man believes. That means he's not believing with his head. The head, the brain, is part of the soul. That means he's not believing with his body, the five physical senses. Faith is of the heart. Faith is of the heart. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at Abraham's example for just a moment or two. And then I, there's something I want to, uh, I believe the Holy Ghost wants me to, to get on before we spend too much time. Romans chapter 4. This is the story of Abraham's faith. Now, now Paul, who was trained, as the, had the same training as the high priest. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was, uh, is still 
acknowledged as one of the greatest of the priests, greatest of the rabbis. You look up who's the top list of rabbis in, in, the, uh, in the Jewish uh, system, you'll find Gamaliel's list name is right up there on top. I mean, it's kind of like Moses, Gamaliel, and there's another one. He was still considered to be one of the top. Paul had that kind of training where he could have, if he'd have been of the right tribe, he could have qualified as the high priest. I mean, the top guy. And so Paul understands all the things that he was taught from the Old Testament. He understands all the things about the Abrahamic covenant, all the things about the laws of Moses and so forth. Paul understood what, uh, what uh, what's his name? Abraham. He understood what Abraham did and why, because now he's born again and he sees what the, what the Old Testament was a type of and what, how it was fulfilled in Jesus. So he's the one that tells us, we need to follow the faith of Abraham. Abraham followed God, he believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. So how did Abraham believe God? If he believed God, that means if he had faith, it had to be faith of the heart. So if we want to know what believing with the heart really is like, if we want to know faith which is of the heart... An example of that, all we got to do is look at, at Abraham. And Romans chapter 4 gives us the perfect example. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 17. It is written, as it is written in the Old Testament, in other words, God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. Notice the first thing it says is God told him something was true before he had it in reality. God called him the father of nations before he ever had children. Folks, I want you to understand something. Here's one of the key elements of believing with the heart, and that is God says things before you see them. Now, the modern-day church says, well, God said it, but we know that's not what's in reality in our lives, so I don't know how that can be true. And they miss the principle of faith altogether. Faith bridges that gap. Faith takes the promises of God, which say it's already done, and brings it into reality. That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, the things that have already been said, the promises that we already are basing our faith on, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Faith is the thing that bridges the gap between the promises of God and reality. But if you don't know that, then the promises of God just look like fairy tales to you because you really live down here below those, those promises. And that's where man's doctrines come in. You know where man's doctrines, religious doctrines start? They are excuses for why what the Bible says you can have aren't real in your life. Because, folks, how can you justify it? If the Bible says, for example, if the Bible says, by Jesus stripes you're healed, yet in reality you're not healed, how do you justify that? You've got to come up with some kind of excuse. And man is great at making excuses. That's been going on ever since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. Adam was the master. Eve learned well. Adam said, it's not my fault, the woman you gave me. First of all, it's her fault, you gave her to me. Not my, I didn't have anything to do with it. I just went to sleep and poof, there she is. I didn't ask for this thing. Hey, that's the excuse he's making. And then he turns to Eve. God seems to accept his, his position. He turns to Eve and he says, what about that? She said, it was the snake. 
Man is always making excuses for falling short. And that's what religion does. Religion makes excuses for why what God says is true isn't a reality in your life. When in, in, instead what we ought to do is recognize, yeah, there is a big gap between those two positions. So what do we do? You bridge that gap by faith. Believe in your heart and say with your mouth. Folks, it's so simple if you just accept the truth. So Abraham had a promise from God. He said, I have made thee. God told Abraham, I have made thee the father of nations. He did not say, I'm going to make you. He said, I've already done it. Abraham looks around. There's no kids. He has every opportunity to think what you would think. How's that possible? But the Bible says Abraham believed God. He believed what God said. We'll talk about how that manifested. We'll talk about how that came into being. Who... Again, this is talking about Abraham against hope. In other words, he had no natural hope. He had no circumstance, no natural condition to put any hope in that he would become the father of nations. Do you know what that means in just layman's terms? That means his body is not working sexually anymore. He does not have the opportunity to look at his body and say, hey, I'm still able to have children. He's almost 100 years old at this point in time. He doesn't look at his body and say, hey, I'm able to have children. There's still hope. Instead, he looks at his body and says, oh, that ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> How can this possibly be? He has no natural circumstance to hope in. None. Folks, you may be in the same situation where sickness is concerned. You may see the promise of God that says, by Jesus stripes you're healed, yet the doctor is saying, oh, this thing is going to do terrible things to your body. It's just going to get worse and worse, and they'll paint the big picture for you. The doctor may have said, there's nothing else we can do. What does that mean? That means you have no natural circumstance to hope in. Same situation as Abraham. Here's the good news. There's an answer for that. That doesn't mean it's the end of anything. There's an answer for that. You're in the same boat as Abraham, who, without any natural circumstance to hope in, believed in hope. In other words, something gave him hope even though his physical body couldn't. Something gave him hope. Something gave him hope for what God said to be true, I've made you a father of nations, to really be true in his life. Well, it's not his physical body. It's not his sexual ability anymore. What is going to give him hope? What is it that he believed in that gave him hope? Bible tells you. Something gave him hope that he might become the father of many nations. What caused the hope that he could be the father of many nations? According to that which was spoken. In other words, Abraham, faith which is of the heart, the faith that we're supposed to follow as an example, says, God's word says, it's already done. My body, my condition, my circumstances say, no way. So I've got a choice. What am I going to believe in? Am I going to believe in my circumstance? Or am I going to put something, put faith in something that gives me hope for it to be a reality? There's only one thing that can create that reality, folks, and that's believing in the promise. There's the bridge of faith. And instead of Abraham looking at his body and saying, well, that's it, no hope. You know, I don't know what God's talking about. But, you know, he's God. He can figure him out. Instead of taking that position, which so much of the church world does, they just look at the Word and say, yeah, well, the Word says by stripes I'm healed, but, you know, I know better Christians than me have died sick. So 
Who can figure that out? Instead of taking that position and ignoring the promise of God, Abraham did exactly what the Bible sets as an example for you and me to do. He said, wait a minute, God said it. It's impossible for him to lie. Therefore, I'm not going to put my faith in what I see and the circumstances in my flesh. I'm going to put my faith in his word. I'm going to bridge the gap between what God says is mine and what I see is mine. And the only thing that can bridge that gap is faith. So he believed in hope. What did he believe in that gave him hope to become the father of many nations? Now notice the difference in the tense. God said, I've made you the father of nations. Abraham had hope that he would become the father of nations. Jesus said, whoever says to the the mountain, "Be be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He's talking about a a progression. He's talking about a process. He said, say, believe in your heart, and it shall be. Abraham's got God's word that says, I've made you the father of nations. Abraham said, that's not the way it is in my life. So I'm going to choose to believe in what he says so that I can become the father of nations. I'm going to bridge that gap so that God's promise or God's statement of what has already been made shall become reality. There's that bridge of faith. In other words, Abraham's making himself a whosoever. Abraham's making himself a whosoever. How did he make himself a whosoever? He started calling himself the name that God gave him. The name Abraham means father of a multitude. He went from the name Abram to the name Abraham. What God added to Abram's name was a part of himself. It was the Hebrew letter H which stands for God. He changed him from Abram to Abraham. He inserted through his word himself in Abraham. And Abraham accepted it by calling himself his new name. He said of himself what God said of him. In other words, he's confessing what God said. Oh, I can't believe that confession stuff. That's where people get off. They just think your words, your words are just going to make stuff happen. That's the way it worked for Abraham. That's the way Jesus said it worked for you. Well, maybe not you. He said it worked for whosoever. You decide whether or not you're whosoever. So Abraham believed in something that gave him hope to become the father of nations. What was that? According to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And, verse 19, being not weak in faith. Now, what did Jesus tell us about being weak in faith? He said the condition, that which keeps your faith from working, that would be uh, the same thing as being weak faith, wouldn't it? Weak faith is faith that doesn't produce. Jesus said the thing that keeps your faith from producing is doubting in your heart. So we could insert this, we could put those two scriptures together and insert in here, and Abraham, in order to not doubt in his heart, considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now what is that telling us about what doubting in the heart really means? It means very simply this, faith is of the heart, the spirit, not of the mind and not of the flesh. That means that to not doubt in your heart means you're going to have to guard against thoughts, 
and circumstances, physical feelings and circumstances, to affect your words. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, I think it's verse 35, 36, somewhere around there, He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the spirit, the mouth speaks. Whatever you fill your spirit up with is what's going to come out of your mouth. If you fill your spirit, meaning if you meditate on, if you consider, that's what Abraham didn't do. He didn't consider his circumstances, which was his physical body. If you consider your circumstances, if you consider the attack of sickness against your body, if you consider what the doctor says about this sickness, if you consider the thoughts that, yeah, well, other people had this thing and they've died, you consider all those things and allow those to become a part of your heart and therefore speak those things out of your mouth, you have just done what Jesus said, doubted in your heart, and nullified your faith from working. But the reverse is to not let your words be affected by thoughts, circumstances, or feelings. What did Abraham do instead? Instead of considering his body now dead or considering his circumstances to be the determining factor, what did he do? Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Notice verse 19 would be unbelief to consider your circumstances. Now, some people will say, well, I, I, you know, but Pastor Mike, the doctor has said, I mean, the cancer is there. How can I deny that the cancer is there? Folks, I'm not telling you to deny anything. Consider does not mean, or him not considering his body doesn't mean that he denies it. He didn't look at his body and say, well, it's not really what it is. He didn't do that at all. That's not what the faith is. Sometimes faith or people are denying circumstances thinking they're in faith, and that's not faith. That's stupidity. Folks, if there wasn't a real sickness in your body, you would have no need for faith for healing. The fact that you're believing for healing is the acknowledging that sickness is there. Sickness is present. To try to say that it's not. See, some people are trying to make the confession, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not... (coughs) Folks, that's not faith. That's being stupid. Faith doesn't deny the presence of sickness. Faith overcomes the sickness that's present. Faith says, I'm being attacked with sickness, but i got a promise from God. I'm not going to look at my condition. I'm not going to look at my circumstances. I'm not going to look at my symptoms. Instead, I'm going to do what Abraham did here in verse 20, and I like it from the American Standard Version. There's not much I like about the American Standard Version, but I like this verse. It says, rather than he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, it says it this way, but looking unto the promise of God. Verse 19 just told us what he didn't look at. He didn't look at his circumstance. He didn't look at his physical body. He didn't look at his symptoms. He didn't look at what was working or what wasn't working and make a determination from that. Instead, looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. What keeps you from staggering? What keeps you from doubting in your heart? What keeps your words in line with what God said instead of the circumstances and the feelings and the thoughts that come to your mind? There's only one thing that will do it. Looking under the promise of God. That's the only thing that will do it. And boy, you have to, when you're in the middle of a fight, you've got to keep looking and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. You've got to keep saying and keep saying and keep saying. So much of our confession is to convince us first. And there's not a thing in the world wrong with that, folks. I believe I'm healed by Jesus' stripes. I believe I'm healed by Jesus' stripes. I believe I receive my healing. You guys say that over and over and over again until it starts settling in. 
Because the devil is going to be right there. Have you noticed that he does not give you a break? I've noticed that the more that I shut up, the more he talks. But if I'll keep speaking the word, then there's not much room for him to get in there. And boy, I remember when I first started trying to get some of the promises of God on the inside of me. Man, I was, I was talking constantly to myself. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. If I look at my checkbook, there's nothing to hope in. If I look at the people I'm in debt to, there's nothing to hope in. If I look at the lack of money in my pocket, there's nothing to hope in. Well, I'm going to have to find something that gives me some hope for, for getting out of this situation. What is that? The Word of God. And that's the only place I found any hope. Same thing's true for healing for me. Man, I was, uh, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sickness and by his stripes I'm healed. All the time I'm saying it, I'm hurting. My body's hurting all over. And the devil's right there. How can you say you're healed if your body's hurting? I didn't say I'm healed because my body doesn't hurt. I said I'm healed because Jesus said so. Looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. Folks, you've got to keep your eyes on the Word. It's just that simple. You can't be one of those people that consider everything, you know, in wisdom. I, I like, whenever you start stepping out in faith, you'll always have somebody that will come along and say, well, now you have to use wisdom. Folks, wisdom is not what's going to get me the answer. Faith is. And besides, the people that talk about using wisdom, they don't have a clue what wisdom is anyway. Wisdom is doing what the Word says. Period. And that's what I'm doing in faith. Looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. But was strong in faith. How do you know when you're strong in faith? Giving glory to God. I remember when it first dawned on me, when it first occurred to me, wait a minute, I'm not rapid fire speaking the word anymore like I used to. I'm not upset. I'm not anxious. I'm not all a Twitter about, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? Who's the next person that's going to call looking for money from me? It occurred to me that it's starting to settle in. It occurred to me that I'm not having to try to push something and make something happen. But instead, the confessing that I've been doing for months after month after month after month, now all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, I know that's true. Of course it's true. It has to be true. God said so. Now I'm not trying to make it true. Now I'm accepting it to be true. And the next step was, thank you, Lord, that my needs are met. Thank you, Lord, that my needs are met. Thank you, Lord, that my needs are met. Folks, I've got to tell you, if I had tried to, to thank God up front when I was trying to get the Word in there, it would have been nothing more than just trying to praise God in fear. Oh, I better praise God. And the devil will bring all those kinds of thoughts. You better say it. You're not saying it enough. If you don't say it enough, you'll die. All kinds of thoughts. I've got to tell you, I was in a situation, I was so far under the, I was not just at the bottom of the barrel, I was under the barrel and the barrel was on top of it. Financially. And, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing I could have done to argue with the devil about these things. I didn't know enough to argue with him. I didn't have enough knowledge to argue with him. So I just did what I was told from the word to do. And that is, I just kept saying it. Kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it. The devil would try to bring a question. And I'd think, well, that's a good question. I don't really know the answer to that. And then I'd catch myself and say, you know, when I get on the other side, I'll answer that. Right now, I'm just going to do what the Bible says. And I just keep saying it. But then it starts settling down. It's like, wait a minute. I don't have to keep pushing this. I don't have to keep making this work. This is true. Then it became a natural thing. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you meet all my needs. Now, the devil was right there. He never left. He'd say, you don't really think that's going to work, do you? You know, it, it occurred to me one day. 
The devil comes to all of us and says that, doesn't he? You don't really think that faith stuff's going to work, do you? If he knew that you were doing something that wouldn't work, would he try to let you know? It occurred to me one day. He's telling me it's not going to work, and I'm trying to argue. Yes, it's going to work. Of course it's going to work. What do you mean? Of course it's going to work. And then it occurred to me. I thought, wait a minute. If he's got me on the wrong road, wouldn't he keep quiet and let me keep going down the wrong road? And I started laughing. I realized, you know this is working. That's why you showed up. You know this is working. You're trying to talk me out of it because you know if I stay on this road, I got it. Man, I started looking for the devil. I welcome him to tell me, you don't think this is going to work, do you? I hear that a lot less often than I used to. You shine the light on what the devil's doing in your life, he'll leave you alone. He'll try to pick another tactic. That one does not work with me anymore. I welcome that. It's kind of like, yes, you know it's working. It's almost like a confirmation. I've got the devil confirming. Yep, it's working. And somebody's going to take that out of context. And say, Pastor Mike's saying, look for confirmations from the devil. <laughs> well, whatever. Let the ignorant be ignorant still. So looking under the promise of God, verse 20, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, what does that mean? That means when you start giving glory to God for something you can't yet see, you're becoming fully persuaded. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. Folks, let me tell you what the importance is about this. So many times the devil's going to try to ask you, how in the world do you think that's going to work? Let me clue you in on a little secret. That's not your problem. It's God's problem to make it work. Your issue, your concern needs to be not doubting in your heart. That's what you focus on. What does that mean? That means keep saying what God's Word says. That means keep looking to the promise of God. Keep your eyes on the promise of God instead of the things that are going on around you or the way that you feel. You keep your eyes on the promise of God and keep saying what God's Word says. It's God's problem to make it work. And the more you speak the Word, the more it settles in on you. God's fully able, fully capable of making this thing work. Well, how's that going to work for Abraham? I don't know. Abraham didn't know. But one day, bingo, it worked. Don't you know that was a happy day for Abraham? Hey, who knew? Same thing for Sarah. Abraham looks at Sarah and she looks at him. They both look good to each other that day. That was probably supernatural at 192, but I don't know. Folks, within a year of when God spoke to Abraham and said, I've made you the father of nations, they had that child. So what does that mean? Well, if she carried the baby full term, nine months, that means there was a three-month battle. See, the devil wants to make you think this is going to go on forever. No, it won't. It doesn't take real faith long to get results. It doesn't take real faith long to get results. It's not going to take forever. Oh, you're going to have to believe for years. People all ask, Pastor Mike, how long do I have to believe this? Believe it till you have it. Yeah, but how long is that going to work? Well, you're going to believe God anyway, aren't you? I mean, for the rest of your life, now that you found out the Word of God is true, you're going to believe God every day, aren't you? Who cares how many days of it are for healing? You're going to believe Him for something. Believe Him until you have it. That's what He said. 
He said, you will have, if you don't doubt in your heart, you will have whatsoever you say. Now, folks, turn with me. I want to, uh, oh, I don't even know if I ought to go there. Uh, no, nah, I don't have time. I'll keep you too long if I get going there. We'll, we'll cover that next time. Let's all stand. Let me remind you of what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed. That's the same exact thing as God telling Abraham, I have made you the father of nations. Because the Bible says, it's God speaking to you, it's saying, I have already healed you. He's saying, Jesus did the work, you're already healed. Yeah, but my body doesn't look like I'm healed. That's where Abraham was. My body doesn't look like it can produce children. What do you do? You have to make the choice to be the whosoever. It's your choice, not God's. He's already done his part. Your choice is to be the whosoever. How do you become the whosoever? You say to the mountain. You say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now the job is not to doubt in your heart. Don't let your thoughts, don't let your feelings, don't let your circumstances change your words. But instead, believe in your heart. That means keep saying what God's word says. And Jesus said the end result of that would be, you'll have whatsoever you say. So let's do this. Close your eyes. Raise one hand toward heaven. That's where help comes from. And say this after me. According to God's word, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with the stripes that he took upon himself, that he already took, the work that's already done, I am healed. Because I am healed, according to God's Word, I believe in my heart and say with my mouth, I believe, I receive my healing. Now, in Jesus' name, I confess that I am healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Body, I speak to you in faith in the name of Jesus. And I command you to line up with the Word of God. Be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that it's done. I choose to give you glory before I see the answer because I believe your Word to be true. Now lift both hands and start thanking Him because it's true. Oh, thank you, Father. We don't, we're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we feel. We're moved only by Your Word. Thank You, Father, that our words are coming to pass. Thank You, Father, that we shall have healing because we believe in faith that healing is ours. According to Your Word, we believe it's ours now. So we, therefore, expect to have it. We refuse to doubt in our heart. We refuse to speak anything contrary to your word. We will confess and continue to say, By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. I believe, Father, that you're able to do that which you said in Jesus' precious name. So I thank you for it. I glorify you for it. I give you glory for my healing now, in advance. I thank you that it's done. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. 
In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Folks, I can't emphasize this enough. If you choose, now your faith has to be active. It has to be something you focus on. You focus your attention. From your heart, you focus your attention on it. It can't just be one of those, oh, I'll remember next month. Oh, yeah, by the way, we confess that. No, it's got to be something you focus on. But if it's something you care enough about to keep saying what the Word of God says, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed, then there's nothing the devil can do to keep it from happening. You're the one that decides. You keep saying what the Word says and only say what the Word says, and the devil's not big enough. He doesn't have enough power to keep the answer from being yours. Jesus said, you shall have it. You think the devil's big enough to say, uh-uh? Folks, God and the devil are not in the same class of being. Jesus said, you shall have it. So say it again. I believe, according to God's Word, that I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I refuse to be moved from my confession in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's it? You mean that's it, Pastor Mike? Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, but what about when the devil comes? Just keep saying it. I believe, according to God's word, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. You keep saying that and nothing can stop it from being yours. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.